0: Hello there in podcast land, and welcome to this week's segment of the Ernerberry Market Digest. This week, we have a fan favorite with us, Brian Moscajorie, Director of Marketing here at Ernerberry, and world-renowned egg reporter. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate the time.
1: Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. It's been a while, but looking forward to it.
0: It has been a while. And I have to tell you, I have spoken to more egg companies in the last, let's say, quarter than I have... Uh, in any quarter previously, I'm pretty sure, and I think it has a lot to do um, with the fact that the market has, you know, been pretty volatile both in in products and in shells. And everyone is buzzing about our first topic. Can you guess what it is?
1: I'm gonna let you tell me.
0: It's cage free, Brian.
1: Oh, cage free! Yeah, everyone's talking about cage free
0: everyone wants to know what's going on. I mean, so many people are trying to anticipate changes that they might have to make to their business and to their products. Um, And so I'm hoping that you could shed a little bit of light on what you're hearing about cage-free, about California, and how this impacts not only folks who are uh, in shell eggs, but also those who are in products that end up in finished goods.
1: Well, that's certainly uh, a big topic, right? There's a lot to dissect there because you have a lot of different drivers, right? You have state-by-state legislation. So you mentioned California, but there's another eight or nine states that are also pushing cage-free legislation or have already passed cage-free legislation. A lot of those don't go into effect until closer to 2025, but California's Prop 12, the second phase of Prop 12 will take place at the end of this year which will mandate eggs going into California will have to come from cage-free production and production in the state will have to be cage-free. So um, we continue to see cage-free production expand as producers get ready for these state legislations. We have to remember there's also these corporate legislations and plans that will also create the need for more cage-free in the near future, right? 2025, again, seems to be the deadline for a lot of these commitments, but you're talking about the major retailers, you're talking about a lot of the major food service companies, a lot of the big institutional businesses, they've made commitments to go cage-free and these commitments back when we kind of dissected them a few years ago, it would mean that roughly two thirds of all eggs produced in the US will have to be cage-free if all of these eggs that are committed to will have to come from cage-free production so if you look at cage-free right now and you look at the total amount of layers there's actually um, quite a lot of growth in terms of cage free production and it's it's really been a consistent growth right so you go from only about 30 million birds just a few short years ago to now seeing over 85 million layers in the country in cage-free housing total cage-free housing Um, And in just the last three or four months, we've seen an additional 5 million birds going into cage-free housing. So you're talking about record layers in cage-free. You're talking about a real shift in demand coming in the very short term. Um, And California, you know, should absorb roughly 35 to 40 million birds worth of cage-free based on the population. But that means there's another 50% of total, total production that has to find a home elsewhere into um, states that aren't legislated as cage-free. I mean, you, you include Massachusetts in there, but um, you know, really there is an excess of cage-free production out there in general.
0: Let me ask you a question. I don't think this is something that we've talked about before, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, but when we think about all the benefits of eggs, there are a lot, but one of the greatest things about eggs in my view is they're really, really affordable right so it's an affordable really nutritious form of protein now if you go to the grocery store right now for the most part your cage-free selection is going to be more expensive than your conventional egg so has there been any talk about how that impacts people that are buying eggs because they're affordable in california and other places that are mandating cage-free and then taking it a step further what about places where they serve eggs um you know like a school or a prison or a place where keeping costs low is really important. Is there anything that you've heard that's going to help keep those costs under control so it doesn't get passed along in the form of taxes or expenses to people who live in those states?
1: Well, I believe it's state law, right? So if those schools or prisons are in the state, then, then they would have to comply theoretically. Um, I, I do think that yeah, I mean, along with cost of production, consumers should expect to see higher prices of eggs, um, bearing market factors, right? So, in an overproduced market, costs are typically cheaper. In a market that is tight, then you know costs are typically higher, and and that's just how these these markets. Um, and these commodity markets play out. And we've seen times where cage-free has been oversupplied here, and those eggs are going into conventional channels and at times at discounts into conventional channels. So it's it's really going to depend on overall supply and demand. But theoretically, given the increased cost of production associated with cage-free, the input costs will be higher. Um, and that's one of the concerns that you know the, the egg farmers and others have had when these legislations have gone through, is that you know the consumer sees these laws on the ballot and they say, "Okay, um, do you think that chickens should be able to stand up and spread their wings?" and you know, should housing improve for layers? And you know, people vote yes, but they don't realize the ramifications it has at the grocery store. Um, and some don't care. I mean, don't get me wrong; some people are willing to pay more for eggs, but. You know, eggs have always traditionally been one of those staple proteins, affordable proteins, and you are going to see less choice at the grocery store where you have the option right now of buying a conventional egg versus a cage-free egg or an organic egg or pasture-raised or any other type of branded or variety of production.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what my next point was going to be, is just the fact that the choice is no longer there. For some people, I think that's that's problematic, right? Uh, Especially if you are on a tight budget You know, you have kids at home, you need to grab a couple dozen eggs, a couple dollars a dozen extra really makes a difference for those people. So I'm interested to see how it plays out.
1: Well, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's still an affordable source of protein, right? Even at a a higher basis, you know, a a dozen eggs cage-free or conventional is still an affordable source of protein. Um, You know, we've seen markets at very different levels over the last five years. Um, It certainly impacts consumption but, you know, people will continue to buy eggs. It's uh, it's an item that's in 93 plus percent of people's refrigerators. So I, I don't think that, you know, we're going to lose a lot of consumption in general. But uh, time will tell.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think we'll lose consumption either. I just think that um, I remember a time in my life where my grocery budget was my grocery budget. There were things I needed to buy and for me to have to shell out, shell out. A of first
1: pond. <laughs> pond. what are we 10 minutes in
0: a couple of extra dollars so on my eggs would have would have been impactful so I'm just interested to see how the how the consumers respond now another thing that's been pretty interesting so I actually had a conversation with a company yesterday that does egg products so I was in that egg product table really kind of surfing around um, creating a dashboard etc I noticed a lot of green boxes around those prices so we know that means 52 week high
1: to so mm-hmm. what's going
0: on in the egg product market.
1: Yeah, so the product market has come to life. Um, and at least that is partially due to this food service recovery that we're beginning to see, right? As vaccines roll out and different states decide that it's time to reopen, these food service organizations that have been you know shut down due to the pandemic, you know they need to restock their inventories. They need to go back out and they need to buy what they need to reopen and, and eggs are a big part of that. And it's not just the egg or the liquid egg, but it's also ingredients that contain eggs, right? So it's sauces and mayonnaises and ice creams and mixes and stuff like that that they're going to need in order to operate at a hundred percent again, whether that's, you know, in a few weeks or a few months or, you know, towards the end of the year. So I think with the uh, the summer approaching and this buzz around people wanting to get out of their houses again and, and maybe travel a little bit more and go out to eat a little bit more after being locked down for a year, you know, food service is, is beginning to improve. Um, and in, in addition to the food service demand, you know, we're also going into the Easter period, so you know, there's there's more demand for shell eggs, and there's also more export opportunities out there with some of the AI issues that are are going on in in Asia and in Europe. Um, We're sending more eggs up to Canada and down to Mexico. So, you know, eggs have a home right now. And with manufacturing being as strong as it has been, given the demand for retail products containing eggs, whether you're talking about traditional products or you're talking about items like pet foods, which have received a bump due to the pandemic, there's not a lot of dried inventories behind the processors either. So they're in the market, they're buying and competing for shell eggs or out there buying liquid and that has sent prices on whole egg um, you know, to, to 52 week highs. Some of the highest levels we've seen in the last three years actually over the last month, month and a half. So the the product markets have seen a lot of life here over the last few weeks. Um, and we still have, what, three weeks ahead of us as, as we get into the Easter period. So the, the retail piece should also remain relatively strong as we go into the holiday.
0: So you actually Touched on the next topic that I intended to bring up, which is exports. So I'd like to understand with AI happening um, in other parts of the world, as well as with uh, the new trade agreements that took place not too long ago, are exports elevated? I think you've answered that. And then do you think that that elevation will be sustained by a, kind of a new, a new normal, or do you think that this is a temporary bump?
1: So the export data that we have... Lags, right? So you know we're we're in March, but the latest numbers that we have are for January. But January this year was higher than the last three years prior. Um, and again, part of that is due to some of the AI issues that are going on in South Korea and Japan, where they've lost a significant portion of their production. Um, and also the recovery, right? So the pandemic is a, is a global pandemic. So all of the other countries that we're talking about are dealing with the same issues in terms of food service shutdowns and in, institutional business shutting down, and now you know, beginning to reopen. So when those businesses shut down, you know they, they cut production just like we saw here in the US. And now as demand begins to recover, you know, production is a little slow to catch up. And I think, you know, with with some of the trade deals that we've done, there's been a better flow of eggs into Canada and Mexico. And now with the businesses that I mentioned beginning to reopen, you know, demand is starting to improve, and it's going to take time for them to recover in terms of their production. And it's created some opportunity, especially, you know, in in areas like Canada and Mexico that, that celebrate similar holiday schedules that we see here in the U.S., so, you know, there there is a little bit of a, a preparation and a demand bump as we, we get into our Easter period. Um, you know, they have a, a different Easter in Canada, but you know, you still see some of those same demand trends. The question will be, okay, now as we go into the summer months, which is traditionally a slow period for egg demand, if that will continue or not. Um, Mexico tends to be a value buyer so they tend to come into the market when prices get cheap so they can potentially be a backstop if, if the markets pull back here um, and then you know as, as we go into the end of the year if you know Canada can't get production in balance with improving demand which we've seen um, you know they're typically buying the most volume as we get into the fourth quarter so Potentially, there is an opportunity to move more eggs into Canada than we seasonally do towards the end of the year. And, um, you know, globally, this AI issue continues to hang over the head of the, of the industry, right? Um, I don't think it's it's totally wrapped up in, in parts of Asia that I mentioned. It, it's shown up really across European nations. So, you know, that's something else that we need to keep an eye on in terms of export potential globally. And not to mention here in the U.S. I mean, there's certainly concerns about avian influenza after what we saw here in 2015. You know, it's shaping up a lot like it did in 2015, where it started in Asia and Europe and and slowly made its way over um, into Mexico and Canada and to the United States. So it's something that, you know, everyone's really keeping an eye on.
0: Well, I'm glad that we have you To give us a pulse on these situations, I think that we've covered quite a few topics here. The one thing that I want to finish with, though, bring it right back to the beginning of the conversation. Everyone wants to know about cage-free, but you know what else they want to know? They want to know when your office will begin quoting cage-free because they are going to need to track it. So what's the story Mm -hmm. with Ernerberry's cage-free quote series? When can we expect that to come out, or at least just a, a... an open timeline would be super helpful
1: yeah so as i mentioned you know california um and massachusetts will need to be cage free by the end of the year right so as we've done in the past when one of these legislations go into effect the quote will need to change in that area and there will need to be a quote established in order to track that trade right now A lot of cage-free surpluses go into the market as conventional eggs, right? They don't have a home in cage-free and cage-free has been overproduced. I mentioned the 85 million layers that are are, are already in production in cage-free housing. So, as these legislations go into effect and California becomes a a cage-free state, any eggs traded into California will be tagged as cage free. So that that gives us some transparency in order to quote the market. I'm not gonna lie, we're already collecting more cage free trade than ever before. So we're we're kind of looking at where prices are already and beginning to track it internally. Um, but I would say, you know, the, the latest will be end of the year when California makes that transition. But if we can get enough Activity and track enough of these transactions where we can put out at least some benchmarks—a weekly benchmark, a national quote. Um, you know, hopefully, I, I would say earlier than that, but I would I would pinpoint the second half of this year um, in terms of a timeline when when we'll be able to get at least some sort of benchmark out that people can monitor in terms of tracking where cage-free pricing is in the spot market.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been very informative, as usual. Um, and I hope that we'll get to do this again soon. Um, I also just want to mention that uh, next week we'll have the fantastic Karen Ruspoli on our retail webinar talking about eggs as well. Just want to make sure that we uh, mention that. Brian, if somebody wants to register, who should they reach out to?
1: Well, I think we'll be reaching out to them. You can keep in touch with our LinkedIn pages, or monitor your emails. We'll post some um, links on Comtel, and on Food Market, Seafood News. So you should should have some links available to you shortly to register to the webinar. And I'm sure Laura will be sending out plenty of LinkedIn invites to the event as
0: well. I heard that uh, the host of the event is particularly engaging.
1: I heard she's great. (laughs)
0: It's me. It's me. So definitely don't miss it. It'll be a a, a very great conversation about retail, supply chain, what's going on with demand, different areas of uh, consumer trends. So definitely tune into that. That's next Thursday, the 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern. Once again, thank you so much, Brian. Uh, I hope all of you listening enjoyed this week's segment of the Ernerberry Market Digest with the brilliant and absolute expert on the market. Brian Jury. <laughs> I had to throw another one in. Uh, please don't forget to send me your suggestions and feedback at elzinger at earnerberry.com. Give me a call at 732-240-5330. And as always, don't forget to connect with Brian and me on LinkedIn to stay up to date on everything center of the plate.